welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and good evening. I am Malcolm Anthony, a researcher at Impri Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabha Vavamniti Anusandhan Sansthan, Nai Delhi. And I extend my warmest welcome to you all to Impri Hashtag Web Policy Talk. Today, we have gathered for a very special talk on Who Cares for the Elderly? Gender Intersectionalities in Geriatric Care by Dr. Anagha Tendulkar. This discussion is a part of the series, The State of Gender Equality, Hashtag Gender Gaps. And uh, it is a series organized by the IMPRI Gender Impact and Studies Center. We are honored to have Professor Vibhuti Patel, who will chair the session. Professor Vibhuti is an influential economist and feminist, and she's a former pre- professor at the Tata Institute of Social Sciences, Mumbai. Welcome, ma'am. We are delighted to be joined by Professor Veena Vaswani, Dr. Anand B. Ambali, Professor Urminanda Biswas, Mr. Silesh, uh, uh, and Mr. Silesh Mishra as discussants for today's talk. Uh, with the permission of our chair, I would like to introduce our speaker for today. Please go ahead. Dr. Anagha Tendulkar is the head and associate professor of the Department of Sociology at Sophia College, Mumbai. Dr. Tendulkar has rich professional experience in the fields of social gerontology and research. She is a life member of the Indian Sociological Society and a member of the International Sociological Society. Also an honorary member of the Federation of Senior Citizens Organizations, MAM has been instrumental in improving geriatric care facilities in the greater Mumbai area. Thank you for accepting our invitation, Dr. Tendulkar. Uh, it is also my pleasure to introduce our panelists for today. Professor Veena Vaswani is the director at the Center for Ethics and professor at the Department of Forensic Medicine and Toxicology at Yanapoya deemed to be University, Mangalore. Dr. Anand P. Ambali is a professor at the Department of Medicine and Geriatric Clinic at the Sri B.M. Patel Medical College Hospital and Research Center, Vijaypura. Professor Urminanda Biswas is a professor at the Department of Psychology at MS University, Baroda, Vadodara. And Mr. Silesh Mishra is the founding president of the Silver Innings and founder of the A1 Snehanjali Assisted Living Elder Care Home, Mumbai. I extend our heartiest welcomes to our discussions. We look forward to learning more from our esteemed panel on an important issue, issue such as the one at hand. I now hand the session over to Professor Vibhuti Patel, our chair, to give the opening remarks and to invite our speakers and proceed with the deliberations. Yeah. Over to you, ma'am. Yeah. Thank you, Malcolm Anthony. And uh, first of all, I would like to thank Dr. Arjun Kumar for uh, accepting such an important panel discussion and giving the platform of uh, IMPRI for such an, uh, for, for deliberation. And I also thank the discussants who are also renowned and highly experienced in their field. 
We all know that uh, elderly care has been a very important concern for all the Asian countries and especially in India because the population pyramid is becoming top heavy. We have more, uh, TFR, total fertility rate is going down. So there are less number of young people who can look after the elderly. Life expectancy has also gone up and there are families where you have a four generations of uh, people where young couples are there, their parents are there, their grandparents are there, and even great-grandparents are also to, uh, there to be looked after. Now, the earlier researches in the area of gerontology and geriatric care has shown the power relationships at workplace, which are constructed by power structures. The processes related to power always influences the working condition of the working group involved. So now, because now more and more uh, paid care work has been happening in our country and most of the middle class they have they hire uh, the people who look after the elderly people so that is a very important concern that we have another concern is that uh, various types of experiences of professionalism or of the collaboration intergenerational collaboration and integer and also experiences of discrimination that the elderly people are facing we also know that some renowned people who also in our in, in india it was Professor Latika Sarkar's case, which was filed in public uh, in the Supreme Court of India, which was responsible for getting a new law regarding the protection of senior citizens in the year 2010. So we know much about caregiving women compared to caregiving men and caregiving spouses compared with <clears throat> caregiving adult children. We know less about the intersections of relationship of gender, geriatric disabilities, life diseases, uh, loss of spouse, demand tremendous emotional and physical energy, as well as medical care. Daughters experience highest burden. In fact, in my family, I don't know a single case where a son, married son, has looked after the parents. It is basically the daughters, even are either unmarried or married daughters, who are looking after the uh, their elderly people. Both uh, if they are married, both in-laws and their parents, and uh, this, and working women, they 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 have a more decision-making power to assert that they will look after their biological parents. Uh, so it's a question of also the self-esteem, uh, and suggesting the role is less salient for their self-identities. Wives emerge as the most vulnerable uh, when it comes to the elderly people. Scholars have accepted usefulness of intersectionality framework for understanding positive cognitive well-being and negative affective well-being. To discuss these multifaceted challenges in the elderly care, today we have with us Dr. Angate Endulkar, who is a sociology professor, uh, and she will init the, in, initiate the dialogue uh, and our discussions, Professor uh, Veena Vaswani, who is a medical practitioner and personally looking after three elderly people in her own house, so managing the multitasking, both the professional work, which is also extremely demanding as a forensic expert in the Yenapoya Medical College, and also the personal front, which is where the day-to-day -day new developments take place. Professor Urminanda Biswas, uh, I have known her for more than two decades. She's heading psychology department of a prestigious um, Maharaja Sahajirav University and conducted innumerable research projects and currently also her project on geriatric care. She has a global experience, uh, so she can also provide the comparative picture what is happening in the Scandinavian countries where she has done a lot of multi-centric research projects. 
And we have Dr. Anand Ambali, who is also an expert in the geriatric care as a medical professional and as a, uh, a psychiatrist. And Mr. Sailesh Mishra, our own from Bombay, who is running a very, very prestigious institution called Silver Innings, which looks after hundreds of elderly people, both who stay in their uh, campus and also those who are uh, uh, they also in terms of awareness generation and public education uh, on the elderly care and the geriatric care. So now I request Dr. Anka Tendulkar to uh, provide the perspective on the theme which she has titled as Who Cares for the Elderly Gendered inter Intersectionalities in Geriatric Care. Over to Dr. Anka Tendulkar. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Vipati. Uh, I want to definitely begin by saying that I want to thank the IMPRI, the Impacted Policy Research Institute. I want to thank the GISC, you know, WING, the Gender Impact Studies Center, New Delhi, for thinking about making a section like this, which is very important, very relevant. Uh, very uh, befitting as far as the regular general times are concerned. I want to, uh, you know, I feel very indebted to uh, Professor Vibhuti Patel, who has been unconditionally saying, okay, if you have some knowledge, let's share it together. And uh, that unconditional understanding of the fact that knowledge will have to be shared, experiences have to be discussed and deliberated is something that I have seen you know, constantly in Professor Patel. So thank you, Vibhuti, for, you know, initiating a discussion like this, indeed. I'm laced with such wonderful people today that, you know, this idea of being a speaker doesn't really uh, give me a high, because I know that every discussant is going to bring today to the platform a lot more than what I'm going to be saying. So at the very beginning, let me just clearly say that this is what I have in mind. See, uh, for a long time, geriatric care, senior citizens, has been looked at as an area for people who are um, doing social work. And uh, I totally appreciate the need to be doing social work in this area. But what we have been lagging behind is the academic understanding of it, good documentation, uh, you know, uh, continuous dialogue between what they want and what we can give to them. And therefore, my whole uh, presentation today is going to be nested in an academic and theoretical understanding. And I believe completely well that after that, the discussant can take it forward and I'll be part of that discussion as well. So having said that, the topic and the theme that is given to me is something that really is very interesting. Who cares for the elderly and what are the intersectionalities? I, like I said earlier, I want to begin with a very uh, theoretical understanding because we seem to be going wrong in making our policies when the concepts are not clear. So I'm going to touch upon the conceptual cluster very quickly, the aging, what is aging, what is the difference between aging and population aging, and what is this new scenario that India is facing right now, aging of aged. You know, and uh, we must be talking about it. Of course, then feminization of aging, which is a phenomenon that again has to be theoretically and scientifically deliberated upon. And then I go to the process of geriatric care and the intersectionality 
so the paper is going to revolve around these three. The presentation is going to revolve around these three. Uh, I go with the first section without wasting time. I want to say that we got to understand what is this individual aging and something, the definition that is available everywhere. But I want to stress upon the fact that, you know, it is a universal process. That means everybody ages. I age and you age and everybody ages. It brings about changes in the body and the mind of a person along with its gradual impact on social life as well as your lifestyle. So you are not in a cocoon, you're not in a bubble where you think that you are not going to be aging at all and others are aging. And therefore, when we talk about it theoretically, we got to keep in mind that we all are subjected to it. Uh, in an academic discourse, we normally uh, approach the process of aging in four possible ways. And the first one, of course, is the chronological aspect. When we talk about, uh, if I'm born in 2000 and 2020, I'm 20 years old. It's as simple as this. You know, it's a quantitative uh, matrix, which is easy, uh, which, is, um, which can be shown, which is very empirical. Uh, the second one is the physiological aspect. And it is important to keep in mind that a chronological age does not always match with a physiological age. So physiological aspect of aging is something that we got to also factor in. The psychological aspect of aging, I'm sorry to say, but has been largely ignored. We don't think about it from the psychological angle. And the last one is um, social aspect of aging, which people think they know everything about. You know, I feel that everybody talks about social aspect of aging. And uh, there is a disadvantage to the discipline of sociology when majority of the people think like aging is like cricket. We all know everything about it. That's not true. Aging as a process will have to be understood in a more deliberate, precise, specific manner. And uh, I must say that for the most of the policymakers, we seem to be focusing all the time on the chronological aspect. So we say, okay, 60 years and above. So how wonderfully one night I'm 59 and the next day morning on my 60th birthday, I'm promoted to or demoted to elderly, right? I mean, that's the way the parameter goes. And most of the policymakers therefore seem to believe that all those who are 60 and above have similar demands, have similar problems, have similar ideology, uh, can be treated in a similar manner. So the very important uh, gap that I can see in our policymakers' perception and consolidation and comprehension of the problem of aging is that the departure point is always chronological. I know it's easy. I know uh, uh, Professor Vibhuti will also agree that it's something that's very measurable. And therefore, and we require something that is measurable. The quantitative metrics is important to bring in some kind of you know uh, starting point. But at the same time, therefore, you know, we are not doing justice to our whole idea of aging and understanding it correctly. I mean, the age at 58, what I am, could be the age of a man at 65. Uh, capability could be 65. So that's what we are going to understand that in policymaking, in lawmaking, while approaching these issues, we have to be more open. Chronological parameter is not the only parameter, but India very typically has been using this chronological parameter. We got to get out of it and understand that there is a psychological or social, or rather I'll say a more integrated departure point 
is going to be a requirement as our society grows fast. Like I said, it's universal. So on a lighter note, you know, it happens to everybody. And as we go old, it is very rightly said that inside every old person, there is a young person wondering what happened. I mean, what happened? I was young and what happened? So this is the process that I'm talking about, a very universal process. And we are here to learn a little more about it. The second one that I'm going to is um, a concept very close to global academia, and that is demographic aging, population aging, which is also known as demographic aging. And um, India has not taken a conscious note of it yet. So the first part of the presentation is going to be about uh, what is this population aging? Very quickly, we know, and I'm taking the definition from World Health Organization, it is defined as the increasing proportion of older people within the total population. So um, it was first discussed in 1982. And uh, we go to this, you know, the whole globe is actually greying. The oldest region is actually the region that is rich and prosperous, uh, that is Europe. And the youngest region is Africa. So we are actually looking at India now very closely. And let us see whether India is aging. I know we all have heard about demographic dividend. You know, we have heard this so many, so very many times that we are a young nation. Uh, we have to be happy. We have to give the skill set to young people. It's true. But many of the reports now reveal that we are moving towards a gray revolution or rather a graying kind of structure. So let's see whether that's correct. What you can see here is taken, of course, from several of the reports. So you will see very clearly that we were 12 million, 5.06%. We were 5.63% in 1961, 24.7. Very quickly, 1991 gave us 6.7%, 55.6 million. We have a 7.7, 76.6 million. Look at this 104 million. And then we go to this projected figure, which is scary, which is scary. We are talking about a small group that is growing gradually, definitely rapidly. And I am a little concerned about it because when we look at India, India has different kind of, this is, I'm going by 2011 census that the last census that we have right now. I know we are in 2021, but as far as senior citizens are concerned, I am not happy to say this, that our enumeration comes last. I mean, sometimes zero to six is the category that people will still be worried about. But you know, when it's old people, it's a perishing species. Why should we worry about them? So uh, particularly and very typically census will give you data with regard to senior citizens late and researchers will keep hunting for it. So yes, I have laid my hands on current data, but right now for a presentation, I said um, 2011 census is the most dependable one because that's the most uniformly available one. So we know right now, and I don't want to read this, all esteemed audience are looking at it, look at our variations as far as our states are concerned. So uh, we are starting straight from 12.6% in Kerala to Uttar Pradesh coming down to 6.8%. 
And then we are talking about a common policy at a national level for senior citizens without even realizing that every state is going to be different and requirements of every state are going to be different in terms of financial policy making, social intervention, uh, political capturing of these capacities, um, uh, their, their participation in work, uh, whether they are going to be participating in an informal manner, in which manner are they going to be participating, whether they are literate, whether they are illiterate. So, you know, there are situations that we have to still factor in. Another very interesting one is the phenomenon in India that now you can see, and that is of, well, aging of the aged. You know, we have been saying that, okay, what happens to old people? And I have always read this while reading many of these articles, old people die. So let's start worrying about death. Philosophy of death is what we teach senior citizens. Well, why? I mean, we are going to be living for a long time. We have heard things like people have superannuated and people have lived after that for a long time. So longevity is a feature that we are, all of us are aware of, India is aware of, and uh, with increased longevity, what has happened and something that we must keep in mind when we are doing policies is that the process of aging has become lengthier in, at an individual level. It is more protracted, it is more drawn out. I am not going to perish 10 years after my retirement uh, in general on a modal way. What I'm saying is that there are going, so you've got to plan it out. You've got to ensure that that plan goes with your family structure, goes with the community in which you are staying. So the Vanaprasthashram that we spoke about for a long time in India will have to be given a different kind of dimension. So, uh, you know, it is going to be for most of us, for most of the senior citizens, aging is going to be a compounded complex and sometimes inorganic struggle. Now, what do I mean by inorganic? I know when I say this, I am, it's a risky proposition, but by inorganic, I mean that there are various interventions, thanks to technology, thanks to development. Uh, when we started plowing, uh, you know, land, we said, are we doing something that is inorganic? Okay, uh, but we are talking about living and here I'm talking about inorganic in terms of medical intervention. So when you talk about living a longer life, what is the quality of life? And if the quality of life is not so great, what kind of care system are you looking for is important. So an inorganic struggle is going to demand a different kind of care system and, uh, than the organic existence. So longevity, even now in India, is not a very organic existence. It's something that we got to keep in mind. We are still struggling as far as the continuum is concerned, as far as the progression is concerned. And so I have taken the liberty of calling it inorganic struggle. Um, you know, somehow we are all, particularly women, uh, we are watching this and continuously we talk about this anti-aging, anti-aging cosmetics, anti-aging diet, anti-aging facial expressions. And I'm so scared. I mean, is aging something that we must shun off and say that anti-aging is the funder? So again, risky to say this in a public discourse like this, but you know, slowly anti-aging has translated into a very fictitious deathlessness. I'm never going to die. I am going to be alive forever. And inorganic manufactured immortality as I want to call it again, a new concept, but is worrying, is worrying because 
uh, when we make laws, when we make uh, guidelines, when we talk about care system, we got to keep this in mind. This is manufactured immortality is going to require a different kind of treatment to keep senior citizens happy. So uh, I'll go further. If I have set the scenario and if I've set the ball rolling and if you all are thinking about it, I want to go to a closer aspect and that's about feminization of aging. So having spoken about aging of the aged, now I'm talking about something that all of us are going to quickly take a note of. Uh, women, 2011, when we said it's 104 million, look at the breakup. 53 million women and 51 million men. Again, happy that women are outnumbering men somewhere because we know that the sex ratio has not been, general sex ratio has not been very friendly. So 60 plus women, if you look at 1951, 1028 women, uh, this, these are 60 plus women, 2001, 978, you see a dip there, but then 2011, again, we recovered and there is 1033 women, 60 plus, mind you. Uh, 2026, the projected one figure is 1060. Well, should we be happy about it? Yeah, we should be happy about the fact that there are going to be more women in this age group but we should be worried and concerned about these survivors and their capacity to take decisions for themselves. Survivors and their um, quality of life. Survivors and the ability to handle crisis. So uh, we should rejoice that the feminization is happening, uh, believing in the fact as a sociology person that we are better survivors okay, um, believing in the fact that we can handle situations as women. Fact remains that culturally and socially, uh, traditionally, we are not trained to uh, manage our bank accounts, manage our health, manage our... So caregivers, when become care recipients, uh, they face a problem. And that's what we are going to look at very quickly. So look at this, one of the biggest concerns is the increase in the number of elderly women as I say, and um, I'm moving forward. When we talk about this, I want to also say this and put forth this idea, is this whole process of aging therefore same across the gender groups? And as I say, same across the gender groups, I'm not just talking about men and women, I'm also talking about the LGBTQI community and aging in that particular community, which we have just not you know, thought about, they are not there. Uh, so I, my answer to this is this, that look, let's not believe that it is the same for everybody. There are, you know, in the process, there are multiple gender differentials uh, not just two or three of them, they're multiple because our pace of aging, our nature of aging, our quality of aging, all of this vary for different age, gender groups. Gender groups, then we'll come to women further. I mean, as uh, Professor Vibhuti correctly said, uh, it will, by aging, it also depend on what kind of life course experiences have gone through. So uh, as a married uh, woman, how have I aged? As a widow, what is my aging process like? Well, well, wait. As a married woman with a boy, uh, with a son, 
uh, uh, earning son, what is my aging process? So, you know, there are these multiple identities that we are going to be looking at very soon. So I want to say this again, there are inequalities in terms of access to resources, right? Uh, there are inequalities in terms of opportunities, uh, resources, space, explorations, experimentation and risk. So let us get this idea very, very clear that, uh, you know, aging is a variable and it is definitely a gender specific variable. We've got to understand it. For men, uh, let's get this. We just talk about elderly. So when I say that women have not been documented, what is, whatever is documented is about men right now and we call it elderly. But again about men, you know, it's interesting. We are talking about their phases of retirement. We are talking about their separate, uh, you know, uh, kind of aging, but we have not given them their unique existence as well. I mean, if we have lost our unique existence in this aging matrix, even men have been uh, given a common existence of elderly and they also have their special problems. So, um, their wear and tear is of a different type than women and their wear and tear. So, uh, you know, for uh, LGBT community, I have said this long ago, that there are some countries where you can see some kind of documentation happening. But generally lack of research, lack of documentation as far as many of these communities are concerned and uh, they, they just perish, they're not there. So um, that is really sad. So our great evolution right now is marked by, let me say this very openly, vanishing women, vanishing, they just vanish, they're not there. Uh, missing men and invisible others is not there at all. Uh, I'm moving towards the last part and this is where I would want people to focus and understand further. Uh, who cares for elderly? We say typically in India, it's family. Right. Uh, beyond that, you go to community and you have governmental agencies and the non-governmental agencies. And so happy today that, you know, we all are sitting together. We are like representatives of different of these clusters and we are going to be talking about this. But I would want everybody to be, um, you know, factoring in while discussing these ideas that when we talk about community, as far as India is concerned, old age homes exist, but well, decent old age homes at a reasonable cost is still a dream as far as India is concerned. And uh, uh, paid old age homes are increasing in number. And for elderly women, uh, you know, very interesting to note that many elderly old age women, uh, old age centers are called widow's homes. Yeah. And it's like, okay, fine. What are you trying to tell me? So why can't they be called women's old age homes? Why should they be called widows' homes? So there, is, there are these cultural nuances that we will have to catch and we'll have to repair before we set on this you know, journey of understanding what Indian society and aging is. Uh, senior Citizens Associations have visited practically 100% of those, but 10 years ago, new ones have come up. Now they're predominantly elderly men. Otherwise, there are couples. But uh, there are very few senior citizen associations that are just for women. I can name a few of them, but very few, very few. Uh, daycare centers for elderly, again, you don't have daycare centers for women as such. There are daycare centers. And uh, I, I guess none of these community centers, therefore, even remotely recognize the existence of others. 
I mean, that LGBTQI plus is not there at all. And it's too much to accept, uh, you know, uh, expect that to happen right now to Indian society. Uh, we are right now caught up in a very, very interesting dynamics. You know, there is a patriarchy and a patriarchal setup. At the same time, there is a feminization of aging. So what you do see is that there's a pressure and there is a lack of equilibrium, as you can see, that as women, feminization of aging happens, uh, there is more and more of de-empowerment. I am, as I age and as I live longer, in a modern Indian society, I don't become more powerful. You know, gerontocracy, which did prevail earlier, perhaps, where seniority was deemed as important, uh, that seniority is something that's taken away from me as I become, as I lose my partner, as I lose a patriarch. So uh, there's an overarching patriarchy that is making feminization of elderly increasingly and exceedingly difficult very difficult. I mean, uh, you know, there's a point where we remember about this sati and we say that, you know, why was sati conducted? Because a woman did not see her existence beyond her husband's death, husband's existence. Now here we are saying sati is abolished, but imagine feminization is coming up. We don't have policies, but feminization of aging is coming up. So what are we, where are we heading? I see it as a completely anomic aging uh, uh, paradigm where, uh, you know, hegemonies will have to be re-looked at and reworked at. I want to quickly in the, my last uh, bit of discussion and uh, with the uh, permission from the chair, five minutes more. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I want to bring this, of course, to the forefront. We know that Crenshaw in 1989, when spoke about uh, intersectionality, and I have dwelled upon, I've read a lot about this, McCall talking about, Leslie McCall talking about, you know, there are different complexities when you categorize people, intersectionalities. So what I was talking about right now was this, that there are anti-categorical, which implies that there are categories, like I said, a married and uh, single and live in relationship and a woman, we, these existent ones will have to be deliberated upon further. They are not the ones that we have to go with. So anti-categorical, we will have to go. We have to think out of the box and think about these uh, emergent categories, okay? The intra-categorical will have to keep in mind, you know, uh, a fair, uh, a good-looking old woman as against a woman who has not really enjoyed the gaze of people and has not really enjoyed the beauty part of it, there is an intra-categorical, there is a poor woman and there is a rich woman, there is an educated woman and there is an uneducated, not uneducated, I'm sorry, less educated woman, uh, there is a working woman and there is a never working woman, uh, there is a within working woman, there is a working woman who worked in formal sector and holds her, you know, retirement things in her kitty. And there is a woman who has worked extremely hard, but has been part of the informal sector and has nothing right now to rely on in her financial crisis. Uh, there is an intercategorical complexity that we will have to look into. A very simple example, a relation between an aging sister-in-law and a daughter-in-law. Very interesting, you know, sociologically, very, very interesting. Uh, when we talk about aging uh, daughter with her aging mother and her relationship as far as caregiving is concerned, okay? Uh, the, the aging daughter-in-law who says that I'm not going to look after your mother to her husband. The intercategorical complexity is something that we will have to again think about. 
uh, while concluding, therefore, I really want to say, you know, that we are ruthlessly insensitive towards the layered marginalization of elderly women. It's not just marginalization, it's layered. You know, I continuously lose one status of the, after the other and after the other, and I don't know where I'm heading. Uh, I am just not there after a while. Uh, we are also very uncompassionate towards the perpetually emergent complex patterns of intersectionality, I feel. And we are hopelessly half literate. I always say this, that when you say illiterate, at least you can say, make them literate. But half literate is a very deadly thing to uh, be. So we are very half literate about the ramifications of the phenomenon of feminization of aging. So I, I want to say this as I conclude that you know, uh, number one, a conscious understanding of the fact that there's a distinction between geriatric care and gerontological care, uh, which we have not taken care of. I'm going back to concepts and we must understand this. See, geriatric care will go closer to your, uh, like we say, pediatric care, etc. You're talking more about a pathology that you can see and you have to address it. Gerontological care is a preventive care. Uh, where the social essence of a uh, social value of it, or social roles are restored so that you don't have to, uh, you know, lay down the geriatric care carpet for these women. Let, the, let women be rich enough, healthy enough, okay, not to be asking for geriatric care. Let them learn how to look after themselves. And that is what I say is gerontological care. But unfortunately, in the social work discourse, I don't see it. All the time we talk about geriatric care, but we got to be talking about gerontological care. There should be policies in place for gerontological care, and then your geriatric care burden will automatically reduce, uh, which is right now not happening. We also have to understand that geriatric care is a process. It's not a phenomenon. You don't do one policy and stop there. You will have to proceed. You have to check. You'll have to have your SOPs in place to say this is how it will go. It's fluid, not static, and it's also multidimensional. Don't put all women in the same basket, as we have said already. Uh, the gender-specific policies right now are non-existent, I'm sorry. Uh, we are taking marginalized groups as very homogeneous and very passive. You know, they won't say anything, so we are giving to them. They are recipients of it. No, make them part of it. Let them be part of this policy making. A problem with our sometimes policymakers and planners is that we are poor listeners, you know, we are very bad listeners, we don't listen to people, we got to listen to them. Um, the care model that we are doing, always keep in mind, we are doing it for the caregivers. And very traditionally, women and their narratives, uh, nobody listens. So when I go to the concluding comments, this is what I'm going to be uh, saying very clearly that um, we have experts from psychology, experts from uh, medicines, we have experts from uh, uh, you know, social work, and we have experts from forensics side, et cetera, et cetera. I am waiting to hear from them how this care model can be molded for caregivers. Those who are not asking for this help, they are not saying that this is a prescribed requirement of mine. So how do you reach out? How do you make them part of it? Uh, how is it that we are going to give them the required dignity, okay? And I want to end with this last yeah. slide, which is very, very interesting. Uh, all women are actually saying it, but it's not heard, okay? So uh, let's get this really going. Uh, when you see me sitting quietly like a sack upon a shelf, don't think I need your chattering. 
I am listening to myself. Hold, stop. Don't pity me. Hold, stop your sympathy. Very important. You know, we'll have to keep this in mind all the while. Uh, we do it. We do this mistake. Okay, understanding if you got it. Otherwise, I'll do without it. When my bones are stiff and aching and my feet won't climb the stair, I will only ask one favor. Don't bring me no rocking chair. When you see me walking, stumbling, don't study and get it wrong. Cause tired don't mean lazy and every goodbye ain't gone. I'm the same person I was back then, a little less hair, a little less chin, a lot less lungs and a much less wind. But ain't I lucky I can still breathe in. On that note, I want to stop here. Hand it over, but yes, before that, I want to share this quick uh, picture, which I will do later, uh, which is uh, which I'm using from a friend who has clicked it. But over to you, Professor uh, Patel. Uh, I hope the presentation has gone well, and I hope it was taken care of. Thank yeah. you. Really, extremely erudite uh, presentation with uh, tremendous academic rigor and also the conceptual clarity with which you have spoken. I just wanted to add two points. One, the way society treats, even the enlightened families treat the elderly, they are to be, they are not to be seen, not to be heard. Because patriarchy says women are to be seen, not to be heard. But when it comes to elderly women, they are not to be seen and not to be heard. And second one is a public space where the gendering is so sharp because man, uh, I know in so many tier two cities and even in Baroda, my native place, you have Vadil Parivar, you have senior citizens organization, but only men. They are the ones who are playing bridge. They are the ones who are talking. They come for the laughter club in the evening, yoga classes. Well, women don't have that public space. Only in most, some places I see that women can go for bhajan mandli. Except for bhajan mandli, the, 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 they, they don't have any other space for self-actualization. So I think this is a very, very, but, but your, your presentation is extremely touch both head and heart. And I think we need to do, as you rightly said, that we need to do a lot of work and especially this, the clarity with which you say the geriatric care and the gerontological uh, concerns, uh, which also get, uh, bring out intersectionality and the political economy in which uh, the problem is situated. Now I come to Professor Veena Vaswani. You have been a medical practitioner. You work in a, you are both teacher and clinician in the medical college. And you also look after the elderly people. Now, from both your personal experience and professional experience, how would you respond to Dr. Anagar's presentation? And what are the policy implications of the today's discussion on geriatric, on elderly care? Yes, Professor. Yeah. Uh, shall I just respond or should I have a PowerPoint? Or how would you like me to go? Pa PowerPoint, PowerPoint. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I would like to place and record my admirations and total the way of embeddedness I felt when I was looking at everything that uh, Anaka was expressing, because we all have been there, experienced it, felt it, and we're trying to crystallize it. Because nothing what you said is far from truth. It is the truth, and that's what we are going to, and even I'm going to bring to table for today's discussion. So can you see my screen? 
Ma'am, we can see your screen. You can go full screen. Yes, it's, it's working. Thank you. Good. Thank Please. you very much. Yeah. So who cares for the elderly, gender intersectionalities? And Anakha has already made my work much easier because she has discussed the concept of uh, aging demography, where a lot of us are going to get there. But this generation, does it even think that we're going to be there when they are young? It is the feeling, if you don't have it, then you can't get it. So it's for all of us to think that we are today here, but we soon going to be in the other domain. I would like to recall from the movie Saranj, when the couple were going through a lot of woes, of bereavement, of loneliness, but it's not just a movie on the screen. What it transforms into us, what it touches into us, is we all have gone through the either the companionship, the woes, the loneliness, the woes, the problems which are of multiple dimensions. It is not a linear equation that you can say, okay, he has lost job, so he's very sad about it. Okay, he has lost son. So no, these are all complex cases that are interwoven. It's even difficult to tease the fiber one from the other. So what happens with the elderly, basically starting right from access to the healthcare. Many of us, we know that younger you are, you impress people, you don't even stand in line. You can just jump your queue and get examined. But what about the old person? He waits patiently only to be defeated by others who jump the queue. So why is ageism such a problem? Because we are losing sensitivity where we ought to not lose it. Because it's a multidimensional issues of physical ailments. Because once a person is having an ailment, chronic illness, slowly the self-esteem goes down. A person feels he's not capable of doing much. And in that self-esteem, if we as health carers, we as general public, we can cut it still further by, hey, you wait, you wait, you're not emergency. We see somebody else. And this is not a new story. It does happen many places. Same thing with the banks. Same thing in the healthcare. You know, a person cannot climb stairs, but the bankers don't make it a point to send somebody to get a signature. My mother-in-law even now has to struggle to climb the stairs. Why? Because bankers are at that level of youth where they don't care. If you're accessing bank, you better come, you better climb the stairs, you better see me. So it's for us to remember that when we are there, how would we like to be served? not only talking of the couple, but also of the females, because like Anaga suggested very well, and it's from the facts, that of 15 million elderly people in India, they live all alone by themselves, but three fourths of them are women. Why are so many women? Because they're hardy, they outlive men, and they're younger compared to men when they get married. So one in seven elderly person live in a household where not one member is below 60 years. So can you imagine then what would happen from morning, fetching vegetables, milk, grocery, medicine, healthcare, paying bills, all other things. Is there something in place for them? Is there maybe a policy level decision to help them out or a community level decision to be in place? But I always think if a community does it, it is good but do not think it's a charity. 
because I always look charity as a second class duty. You give it as the right, it's a first class duty towards them. Now, uh, Anaka also talked about uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's intersectionality. It's a very beautiful concept where multiple factors influence a person, a multidimensional understanding of identity. When I'm asked this question, especially when I'm abroad, define yourself. I think it's one of the most difficult thing to do because I'm not just a professor. They may be interested in listening to that, but I'm also a daughter, a daughter-in-law, a sister, a sister-in-law. We have an interrelationality and a network of relationality, which makes it complicated when one part is very heavy. Then you see somewhere the balance is lopsided. So the gender, color, race, wealth or lack of it, religion, even the region from where you come. If you're not so from a well-to-do place, in fact, when we started Ethics Center, one of the person told me, I wish you had started in Delhi. Delhi is the place to start all new things. Who will even come to Mangalore? So, you know, sometimes the region which you represent can suddenly make you or give you a complex that it's not like anybody else. So you have to negotiate all the more to be getting something which others would any, anyway get it. Power dynamics, a rule in multiplicity and complexity. I may be powerful as head of the department, but believe me, when police come to take autopsy report, they don't salute. Because, you know, ladies who will salute? Why would ladies be saluted? So in this kind of in-depth in oppression about a female, that a female should not be respected, not to give a kadak salute, is something that we can talk, but when you feel it, they also need to feel it to get over it. So the race, gender, even the economy, what you earn today, but then when you retire, it literally becomes nothing. And in spite of that, like I look at my parents who had worked hard, paid so much of taxes, but the taxes don't stop even after they have aged. They continue to be there. So many a times this hurts because at that age, when you stop earning at least, your savings need to be there for you. So race, gender, economy, age, these are all interacting factors that can bring in to people a lot of uh, power dynamics, power inequalities. So they intersect the social identities. So multiple factors influence a person. When I talk of intersectionality, what does the intersectionality do? Those who are in the margins, there is already pushing from the margins, pushing much into the same place that you better stay there, you don't come here. Who asked you to be a leader? You're supposed to be just a follower. So the power inequality, from it results in subordination, in exploitation of the have-nots by the haves. And India is, we are very, very aware of the Dauberry system that goes on, but have we gotten rid of it totally? You can still see the huge list. The girl has to, the girl's father has to give and the way he's being twisted to give everything that's required. So the power inequality could be political, social, religious, economical. It could be gender-based. It could even be legal. But those who are having the power are tightly clutching onto it, do not want to let it go. And it's only those who are losing the power are having a whimper. So there is not much strength in what they're saying. 
In fact, Dwork says sexism is the foundation on which all tyranny is built. And it's again, when it comes to sexism, although it's a social construct, it has gone beyond to be all pervasive and it's almost any construct and sexism comes there. Taking intersectionality into consideration and giving India as an example, it is going beyond race, gender, class, about the caste, caste discrimination. And why then is our education not able to instill this, that human beings, humanity is more important than caste. So sometimes I think education has no meaning if a person cannot discern right from wrong, good from bad, virtue from vice. But we tend to agree with that in mind, but not from heart. So go back to the system and then we have people killing one another on a frivolous charge because they belong to some other caste. So the intersectionality brings associated oppression, a classism, sometimes homophobia, sometimes xenophobia. If you're a foreigner, you are the target many a times. Nativism, because they are looked down upon. Ageism, where we don't want them. We just want everyone to be very young. In fact, I remember a time when one of my most capable friends had applied for a job and she was very good at it but she was denied because she didn't color her hair that day. And the committee thought that she looks aged. I mean, I would think, wouldn't you think of experience as a starting point? Are your people only good enough to be objectivized and objectified when you give a job? Or are you even looking at capabilities? Because somewhere in our quest to bring in quality, we are stopping at externality. And to us in today's world, the coloring, the makeup, the dressing and externality has become far more important than the integrity of a person, the passion of a person, the ability of a person. And this is where we need to look at. This is again breeding a lot of division amongst people. And once this division is built, it's very difficult to fill the cracks, be it ageism, be it Islamophobia, be it any phobia, what is it making? It is making people vulnerable because immediately you have people who oppose them and those who are targeted feel vulnerable. At this point, I would like to bring about, uh, again, like Anaga said, Anaga is a solid rock. I can always say, okay, she has said that and I to endorse it very well, that this is not labels, but layers of vulnerability. One of the bioethicists by name Florencia Luna, she did a uh, a phenomenal work in vulnerability. And she was saying, when we classify vulnerability according to situation, this, that, this, that, it's of no use. Because beyond that is a layer which is unseen. Today it is not seen, tomorrow it becomes visible. So that is vulnerability. Wellness is to injure, to hurt. And a particular people who are very easily hurt. And they are those who are living alone, living alone with mental illness, chronic illness, and any other illnesses for long-standing. But as long as a woman is walking, she's a carer. She has to take care, even if she has a physical disability. She has to take care, even if she's having a bipolar or schizophrenia. Whenever she is okay, she has to take care. 
So the newer context bring newer vulnerabilities, newer layers. Woman as care provider for a large family. But sometimes this role is conflicting with her own personal obligation, her own social life and other things. So even spite of being a carer, there is always this conflict within her. Am I doing my best? Because we have been ingrained into uh, a belief that we ought to perform, we ought to excel, we have to do the best. So somewhere a person is ground very much into it. And what about the gender differences in caregiving burden? Again, like Anega said, women are at the forefront of carers, caring industry. It's not even an industry because it's unpaid. And in fact, uh, right now I don't have a reference, but it's a fact that women do 50% of the world's work, but they get hardly 10% of it because most of it is not in the economic scales, but they build homes, they build herds, they feed, they care, but that's not accounted for. So women, that is why uh, the stress of caregiving, the burden of caregiving is much more than the men of the same age. Since they outlive men, their aging burden, their loneliness burden is much more. And you have seen a strong woman, you always expect her to be strong even in her deathbed. You do not want, you don't think that she requires to be cared at one point because she's a strong horse, you know. So you say, okay, she can look after, she can look after. In fact, married, disabled geriatric age women receive lesser informal care compared to the married disabled men of the same age. Because we always look at women as they're strong. Don't worry, she'll somehow manage. She has managed, but there comes a time where she does require care. So there's so much neglect, not only in healthcare, not only in physical, mental health care, but like Anaka said, even in the physiology, what we do, biomedical model is all male-based, masculine level. Now at the research level, what happens? Nobody wants to do, uh, study the pregnant woman. Nobody wants to study a young girl. Nobody wants to study women many a times. And why? You, we always say that, okay, we don't, they're vulnerable, but then do we account for their bodily functions being different? They may be res uh, responding in a separate way, in a different way, which we need to be aware of. Do we even take that into consideration? So especially research is one thing they are very heavily ignored. And to, uh, I'm coming back to the presentation to conclude all over the world, women are primary caregivers in spite of suffering, having their own disability, even malignancy or mental illness. Role strain occurs because there is an expectation of different roles from the same person. And the person wants to follow this. She wants to excel in this because it's ingrained. You know, you have to do better. You have to satisfy the caretaker. You are giving, you are giving care. Somebody who's receiving should be happy. So in doing these multiple functions, a woman always feels the role strain. And role conflicts also occur because as a wife, I might neglect my husband or as a mother, I may neglect my child or my mother may feel that I'm neglecting her. So in spite of all this, there's a possibility of a huge role conflict. And I keep thinking, what am I doing well? I'm neither doing this well, nor that well. And every most of the time, the females undergo this mental stress, which again is unaccounted for, which is not cared for, which is not looked after. So there's more, it's more observed in the female elderly care than males. Why in females are all these emotional pangs? 
Is it because they are victims of emotional uh, depression or so? No, sir, no, ma'am, that is not the case. That is because a female always thinks emotional well-being of another is her happiness. Whereas when a male cares, he is not thinking of emotional well-being, but giving the material things that are required. Now, when you emotionally want to look after somebody, you literally have to give so much of emotional exhaustion, and yet you feel bad that you haven't satisfied a person's expectation. So, caregiving in India especially, and all over the world, I could say, is a highly undervalued thing. But we're still propagating it. They're not protected. And what I think to begin with, of course, policy needs to take into consideration how are we looking at our senior citizens? Here, I'm just reminded of one particular time when a mortuary is being opened, many of the VIPs tell, don't invite us to inaugurate mortuary because I'm from forensic, I talk of mortuaries because that is not something good, you know, they would like to. And there's not much funding towards mortuary as well because you see, they're not cash crops. But when a person dies, a VIP of a minister, then they expect that the mortuary should have marble floors. And where does that come from? How can you expect something extraordinary when you don't even have an emotional connect with the mortuary because you think you're Amar. You're going to, not Amar Jesani, who's our, our great guru, but I'm just telling Amar as a name that you're always thinking that you don't even want to think of death. And then that is how there is a gap in the expectation. So the same people who look at females and say they're very emotional wrecks, they're doing this, they're doing that, are not considering the fact why did they even get there is because of the exhaustive, comprehensive, beyond capability care, having the stress of the role as well as the conflict of the role. So I would suggest to begin with, at least we could have a mechanism in place where we could have some few hours rest and recreation for those who are caring. In some way or the other, it should be made a compelling thing that they should get out of that place, either somebody replace them, because this is a wonderful thing I noticed. When I was in North Carolina as an examiner uh, for uh, in the medical fraternity, I actually went as a for in the forensic. Sorry if I'm stepping my time, Vibhuti ma'am, please tell me, because the worst thing that can happen to is a good audience and then nobody is there to interrupt. So. I'll just take half a minute to finish up. Is that okay? Please, please go ahead, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. So when I was in North Carolina, I was impressed where I was asked to volunteer to accompany the caretakers of Burns patients. So there were about 70 of them and the patients had about 80 to 90 degree burns and uh, upwards of that who were recovering. But they noticed that they were having an emotional drain. So one day out for these people, and I was accompanying them. It was a very nice place we went, just in nature, sit and listen to the nature, to be with nature, to hear the waterfall. In fact, it reminded me of the last uh, uh, slide of uh, Anagha, where we didn't have to talk to express. It was so much felt, but we were there with each other. We didn't have to say hi, hello to anybody, but we stayed there and came back in the evening. And it was such a fulfilling experience and even they felt very relieved. So I do hope we can plan something for the carers. And with that, I finished my presentation and coming back to Anagas, we have something to look at. When we look at policies, when we, whenever we make policies, people on whom we are making policies are out of it. How can we make good policies? We make for the 
physically challenged. We call them divyanga, whatever we want to, without even asking them, would you like to be called like that? We make policies for women where women are not there. We make policies for schools and children without even the children representation. Do we think that they have no brains? So this is where to begin with, we should think a policy should take into consideration a huge input from for whom the policy is being made, then it will really play out good for them. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Professor Veena Raswani for bringing out two very important points is unpaid care work. And currently it is a global discourse also in the context of a pandemic that un unpaid care work is very important and you quoted rightly. Uh, it's, a, it's a UN Instra statistical wing of the United Nations which said that women do two third of world's work and they get 1% one, 1 of world's income. That means how much unpaid care work is done by women. So there is a tremendous feminization of care work. Uh, even in the Scandinavian countries, which are highly uh, admired for their uh, 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 care industry, but there is also feminization. Those who are in the care work, paid care work by the state, that is, uh, they are women. Second thing that you said that uh, you also brought in the perspective of healthcare system and the concern of the carers, those who are into, uh, who are providing doctors and nurses and support staff. Now, I would like to ask Dr. Anand that you are running the geriatric clinic. Now, what are the best practices you have seen? And also, there is a question from the uh, participant uh, that, that can also be taken care of uh, uh, by you, the, where she asked that, uh, one minute, I'll just tell you. Uh, the question is about uh, what are the, uh, how can intersectionality, medical knowledge and experience of doctors affect the healthcare delivery to elders? If you can take care of this question also in your presentation. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I'd like to congratulate the first two speakers for the wonderful insight. Uh, am I audible? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. The wonderful insight that has been uh, shown all these uh, the experiences and the evidence and the literature that has been uh, written. Now, uh, I being from the medical background, uh, I will be bringing the real picture of how the elderly women uh, are being taken care and being treated uh, in the hospitals and how their behavior matters. Now, respected uh, chairperson and all the uh, uh, respected faculties, uh, very good evening to all. Uh, and uh, I just uh, thanks the organizers for giving this opportunity. I bring greetings to you from Geriatric Clinic, uh, wherein uh, we uh, provide services to the older people uh, every Wednesday. Uh, and what is important thing I want to highlight here is now we are reaching the older people at the village level. So every month we we have got one village. Uh, I have adopted one village uh, wherein we provide healthcare services, screening services, and awareness talks for the senior citizens. And what has been found uh, till now is uh, seventy percent are women uh, attending these camps. Uh, only thirty percent are men. Now uh, we why we uh, I'm informing you here is uh, when we reach the older person uh, they are very happy that the health services have come to their doorstep and uh, second is that they, every time we leave the venue the ladies ask are you coming for next month so this is the this is how the uh, uh, insecure feeling of the older woman in the villages is seen. So uh, I just like to quote Malander, an aging society is evolving, which for the most part is a female. 
so i think you all agree so women is the best care provider and least receiver of care that is what has been highlighted and uh, from my experience in the medical field uh, i just like to inform that the it's the family members who decide the course of the treatment and not the doctor we make a diagnosis we tell them what next to be done and even in, in case of emergencies we tell them she needs admission and she be treated immediately it is again the family members who discuss and they talk to their uh, other members who are out of uh, city or out of country and then they decide so most of the time uh, it, the doctor cannot take a decision uh, because as far as the treatment is concerned it is most of the time it is the family members who says now you start and as far as women is concerned we see she being spending her time taking care of her husband in the hospital their children and for them sacrifice has become a rule uh, and a second important point what i, I seen in the uh, providing the care for women uh, is the women with pension she receives the best care from the family okay so though she may be rich uh, they don't get much uh, care but those who have a pension Uh, they older people's uh, women's family members they keep coming and requesting uh, ensure that she survives because uh, the, on her pension the whole family runs okay and despite all these things uh, as the uh, previous uh, faculty said about ageism yes it is there in 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 all the uh, areas where the older women or elderly uh, visits so i had an opportunity to uh, publish an uh, chapter uh on elder women's health uh, way back in 2013 uh, thanks to dr pkb nair from uh, coaching uh, trivandrum sorry where uh, we had published an chapter and we were studying about the health prospects of the older women uh, and i just like to share a brief uh, view of what all uh, we have come across as far as women is concerned so what was my question uh, was why women reach the health facilities late of course financial constraints has has been mentioned most of them are staying alone they don't have anyone so they had to wait for the caregiver or the daughter or the son coming from other place and then shift to the hospital and being widow uh, is again a factor that makes them to assess the healthcare very late and comorbid conditions like osteoarthritis of the knee stroke blindness especially in the rural women so they avoid going to the hospitals because they cannot walk or they cannot even climb the bus steps so they cannot move around so they are totally dependent upon some healthcare to reach their uh, village and of course children's they ignore them for their medical attention if a child cries uh, within one hour he is with a pediatrician if the old lady cries chalta hai kal dekhenge aaj time nahi hai so that is how the concept uh, is taking place now so most of the time we see the older woman is brought late whereas even the old man is brought early uh, in the to the hospital and women are also smart so initially if they have problem they start using the drugs the non allopathic drugs or uh, they get the drugs from the uh, medical store and they start using it and of course some some people they use the drugs meant for the spouse and they owe the disease to old age even if they are feeling very weak or the old lady she had a fall she will not inform the family for at least first two days till the pain she cannot tolerate okay so they say that it is because of old age i had a fall now appetite is reduced because of old age so this is how the elderly woman has a concept 
and most importantly when we ask the lady why you, we are coming late she says my my i don't want to burden my son's uh, pocket so this is this is this is how the sacrifice the women are doing just to keep their children happy so what are the common medico social issues that we come across apart from this non communicable diseases that we have not only the diseases their complications diabetes leading to blindness still we are getting diabetes leading to cataract yes we are still getting and fractures of femur bone where cannot be operated and that is the last time she has seen the hospital she will be bedridden in the home uh, and whatever care the family members could afford they provide for her incontinence is another important issue in women which she hides and because of which she becomes socially isolated she doesn't want to be among the friends or she becomes socially isolated that leads to loneliness and so many issues in the home and most importantly malignancies like cancer of the breast and the cancer of the uterus are very common in women again uh, most of the time they are they don't receive the complete treatment depression loneliness and self harm are very very common in older elderly women so in our study which we published recently we found that uh, 30% of our study population were females who were attempted uh, uh, attempted suicide or they harmed themselves just to end their life not able to sustain the abuse that they have been for in the home and widowhood again as is been discussed and abuse and neglect are very very commonly seen nowadays we are getting older women especially in emergency departments for hypoglycemia because they are not fed properly and though they take the drugs for diabetes and they are not fed properly they land up with hypoglycemia so what matters again for the women's health is a tobacco chewing it is very very common uh, practice by the women in india especially in the rural setup consuming tobacco and why you are eating tobacco just because they say that i have got a toothache so that's what i am using so that is the reason uh, just to eat that or uh, chew the tobacco and that leads to hypertension malignancies and heart attacks in the older women as well so that it is most of the time it is the behavior issues that it brings to the women and this is a common scenario which i see whenever i go for a senior citizen forums where men dominance so i keep telling the organizers that let the men come with his wife accompanied by his wife so that she also understands what happening and the awareness talks she can even attend and learn something about this now for to overcome all those things we at our uh, hospital and the medical college we conduct uh, such health checkup camps exclusively for women so this is what we have been doing and we are trying to screen them for diabetes hypertension they are usually from the bpl uh, strata the lower income places and more number of them come attend and there we also give an awareness talk for them and screen them for diseases the most important thing that what we have seen in our practice is these elderly women are subjected to or uh, a uh, uh, very heroic act like they undergo uh, brandings this is what the lady you are seeing having the branding marks she has because she had a pain she has a headache so she was taken to the faith healer who with the burning rod had given a punches all over the face and after two days she had come to us she was in shock 
sepsis and on the fourth day we lost her so this is how the women are subjected initially for then from the faith healer then the non medical then they come to the uh, medicine this is what happens this is again a very typical uh, scenario which we come across in clinical practices this uh, this lady who is seen here is 90 years and her husband is 100 years old and every time she comes for the follow up with her husband she always tells ensure that my husband still lives long so that is the only pray that she was she is afraid of being widow that is what uh, she had in mind when i asked you why is that you are 100 100 years old and you are 90 so she is afraid of being widow so that is what she keeps praying me that let my husband live longer live longer and coming to the caregiver issues what we come across in clinical scenario this is a lady again a blind she is totally blind because of diabetes and daughter Uh, she stays in other place but for just to bring her to the follow up so she comes from her place husband place and she takes care of brings to the hospital and provides the care this is another lady what we call a sandwich generation if i am right she is a 80 year old lady being taken care by 65 year old daughter so this lady again she has become blind because of diabetes her son refused for surgeries for to be done and her sister her, her daughter comes she is 65 year old and she comes takes her to the hospital and provides health services so this is how the scenario for older women is taking place and also the boys are taking now this this is what i am seeing this is a photograph just clicked recently in my hospital uh, where the uh, the caregiver is a man the son so daughter in law is not ready to come in such scenarios we have seen n number of scenarios where an old lady when is admitted it is a son who keeps uh, be with her them for the long time and daughter in laws or daughters they try to avoid coming in such scenarios when they are critical this is a lady again she she was very critical i, I just closed the eyes i wanted you to see this because she had a tears when i whenever i used to go and talk to her she had a tears she wanted to say something okay she wanted to convey something so i just remove the oxygen mask for two few minutes and i just listen to her what is that she wants so these are the issues uh, they are try to convey uh, though uh, they can't force but they are trying to convey and it is the doctors who should understand this that this lady wants to convey this is a old lady whom we visit her home uh, yeah sorry to are you sharing the screen yes we are not able to see you can go to the share screen fine In between yeah. the zoom fine fine Oh, sorry. Uh, you can uh, uh, yes. You can slowly revisit the ones we missed. No issues. No, I think I will go a uh, little faster. Then no issues. Okay. So this is what I was telling you. The lady uh, and the caregivers were sandwich generation, and this takes place. And this is a photograph I showed, just showing you that. uh this uh, taken care by son the daughter in law don't want to come to the hospital so this is what happens in and uh, this is a lady who wanted to convey us something she is on ventilator ventilator and she was uh, on many machines uh, when we go and said uh, she was literally had tears in her eyes and uh, we just uh, listened to her and tried to reduce all the interventions in her and uh, we could give her even a good death a dignified death what we call for her and this is a old lady she uh, keeps we visiting her she is alone living with her daughter both are widow she is also widow her daughter is also widow so the lady uh, her daughter goes to the work to the in the morning 8 o'clock and comes back to the home in the evening 6 
and till then she stays alone in a hut uh, and with nobody to support her so we uh, provide her health services uh, to her doorstep because she is also uh, disabled she has a differently able and we are now coming across the lot of females uh, to, to to have a posthumous body donation so this is a lady teacher uh, she has uh, donated her body posthumous so we at our geriatric clinic also promote uh, the those who want to donate their body after death they have they can register themselves and this is the ladies are coming forward to that and the most Im very important thing what we get uh, from a doctor's point of view is uh, whenever a lady a mother is served uh, after a few uh, weeks their children come and greet us and even th this is to the extent that uh, they honored me for saving uh, their mother's life so how the importance of their mother uh, in their family is been emphasized here and uh, this is how again a uh, old lady who cannot walk properly, she comes to support. This is again at the village level where they keep requesting us, please do come every month because I cannot climb the bus, uh, I come to your place. So if you come to my place, I'll be very helpful and thankful. So this is how uh, these are uh, older women are facing issues from the health prospect from point of the view. So our uh, concept of providing health to the elderly woman is to reach the unreached that is what we are doing through which we ensure that the health services are reached to the woman every month uh, and the drugs are provided and screening for hypertension and blood uh, diabetes are done properly and even for cataract surgeries and every woman should be provided opportunity and responsibilities uh, that is what it has been discussed by the previous speakers and the most important thing which uh, hurt me is uh, one woman is neglected by another woman so it is again the daughter-in-law daughter who is not ready to take care uh, of her mother-in-law or mother so that is how uh, we, we are uh, uh, looking for the society and we should provide a secured environment for uh, the people for the uh, best care provider woman is the best care provider and she especially the indian woman providing the care for the family looking keeping the environmental the cultural factor and the financial factors in mind uh, and though she is not expecting anything from the return so as a, from the doctor's point of view uh, their well-being and quality of life should be a priority. Uh, and uh, of course, we should look forward for the dignified death. We are practicing here end of life care issues and we try to give them a dignified death in the hospital. Uh, and we always respect their views. When a woman, uh, when we write a prescription paper uh, for one month, the woman politely says, write for two months. If you write for two months, my son will purchase for one month. So uh, this is how the concepts are coming. Uh, as far as clinicians or medical practice, geriatric practice is concerned, doctors should be sensitized when we uh, look at the older people because most of the time they are trying to convince, convey something to us. We have to look into their eyes and we should listen what has been not told. And older women always look for the privacy in the clinic. Uh, in my clinic, when the children or the daughter-in-law goes out to bring the drugs, then she comes in again and she shares her domestic issues uh, what all happening in the in her home and she takes one promise don't tell to my children this is what is happening so this is this how the women are facing a lot of issues in their own home uh, most of the times they are not getting the food in the proper time most of the older women diabetic their sugar levels are not controlled and i cannot scold them then she politely says 
my daughter in law gets up at 10 and provides me the morning breakfast at 12 o'clock then how can you expect me to have a blood sugar under control so these are the issues uh, that's what I, i just mentioned that women neglected by another woman maybe uh, i may be a little harsh in this but this is what we are are seeing uh, in the uh, in the scenario what we are coming across so i thank you uh, for being uh, giving me this opportunity and of course the older woman is a power this is a very nice photograph i, I taken long back she is a 90 year old going for voting uh, and they can if they wish they can make a change and put the uh, policy makers uh, at their knee but there is no uh, eminence of women felt uh, across india so maybe that is lost so i, I just uh, recommend uh, those who are interested to know there is one uh, literature brought by who women aging and health and there's a beautiful book uh, and has been uh, given solutions also to many of the problems that the older women faces So with this, uh, I thank you all for your patience, and thank you. And I like to take some questions for, for discussion also. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Anand, for bringing out a very important uh, ground level reality, very heart rending reality, and also highlighting the medical social issues and also the uh, some of the important thing which we all have gone through, uh, especially the sandwich generation. All of us have been who are in our late sixties and looking after the elderly people. Uh, the most important. Uh, message from your uh, intervention is that the listening to the silences because of the powerlessness of uh, elderly women which you have brought out so succinctly and along way i would like to dr professor urmimala das to tell us about the home based care that is a one area which is uh, which requires tremendous attention because now increasingly the market for commercialized home based care has increased and you know so many portals are and so many agencies have come up and there is a total law of jungle there is no uh, no 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 regularization no legislation even to ensure security of both the carers as well as the those who are being looked after by the paid care workers Thank you very much, Professor Patel, and thank you um, uh, to my previous speakers. Uh, I am really thankful to uh, Dr. Ambali because uh, he, he actually I felt that I am uh, in touch with the ground realities and I could actually visualize the things uh, as um, in the course of my uh, you know I am uh, doing a project on uh, home-based elderly care and uh, in that uh, project I have visited several. elderly care uh, homes uh, all over india and when you were speaking i could really connect to what you are talking about and the realities that uh, came by the past back in front of me uh, thank you to all the speakers to preparing the ground and uh, what i am going to deliver today to, to uh, share with you today is from the uh, from a project that is uh, funded by icmr uh, indian council of medical research and it is a value integrated home based care Uh, in india and sweden so i'll uh, as we know that elderly care as dr anagha brought it uh, to your you know kind of uh, to the focus that elderly care is a largely neglected area in um, academia and by others as well there have been several uh, national policies and um, if you uh, glance through the policies uh, that has been uh, you know till now in uh, uh, the government has um i i taken you know kind of to 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 take care of the elderly all those talk about family being the base of taking care to empower the families to take care of elderly elderly 
So um, I would like to take a different, a slightly different viewpoint here. So uh, with, if you keep the elderly care at one hand, and on the other hand, you look at the declining workforce participation of women in India. So there is, uh, I see a very, uh, you know, uh, very, very uh, uh, indirect link between the both. So when we expect the family to take care of the elderly uh, at home, so what is happening to the women who are supposed to be the caregivers in the family, to the uh, children, to the elderly at home? So why as a society, we cannot evolve a system to take care of the elderly so that we, um, you know, help women to uh, work in the formal and informal workforce and uh, also to live with dignity, as well as we can help the elderly to be taken care of, uh, to live digni in a dignified way. So I would like to share my screen with you. And uh, in this particular project, uh, just a minute. Is it visible to all of you now? Yeah. Yes, yes. you can go full screen. Yeah, I'll do it full screen. It's on. Yes, please go ahead, ma'am. Yeah. So uh, when you're talking about uh, gender equity and elderly care, I'll uh, I am I'll be presenting. Uh, something of uh, the findings of which have been drawn on the basis of we have take, taken the study uh, done the study in three phases we have explored the understanding of elderly care uh, in the urban suburban and rural elderly population and also the stakeholders who are involved in the elderly care uh, you know kind of sector and uh, in we have uh, uh, taken focus group discussions with uh, elderly in uh, villages elder, elderly in slums and urban areas as well the second part of the study we have studied the elderly care organizations all over india six cities and uh, like uh, mumbai pune hyderabad baroda um, calcutta guwahati kerala um, i mean kerala added last so uh, we have uh, 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 submit, uh, we have made the founders and the managers and the, uh, you know kind of uh, um, the, the, the people who have founded these organizations of 59 elderly care organizations who are into different types of elderly care, of course. Um, it is not only home-based elderly care, but respite care, assisted living, all kinds of elderly care, dementia care, uh, daycare, all kinds of care centers. Then we have done surveys on care managers of this organization, a quantitative survey of 249 managers all over India. And also what, what has come uh, through the discussion of the uh, my previous speakers here, which has emerged as a strong point that we should listen to the elderly. We should ask the care receivers that what do they want, what are, what are their expectations and uh, what are their needs. And it is phenomenal to know that how do they look at the elderly care. Their needs, the way they say it, is quite different the way the elderly care, uh, you know, generally conceptualized uh, elderly care uh, 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 is in the mind of the policymakers and uh, you know kind of care providers. So um, 
as we understand this is from you um, that equity leads to equality and we must talk about equality in the elderly care sector as well. So now that uh, we, uh, uh, World Health Organization says that healthcare workforce all over the world consists of women caregivers. Uh, it is 70% of the workforce, which is quite a lot. And uh, despite that, uh, most of these women who are caregivers, they are uh, not in the managerial level. They are, they are not in the leadership position. They are not the decision makers. They are care, they go uh, for the home-based care, they are employed as caregivers. And in India today, I'm sorry to say that it is so disbalanced. Uh, the uh, caregivers uh, are not seen as professional, uh, you know, professionals like the nurses in the medical care or something like that. They do not get the status of a professionalized service and they are treated uh, not with dignity and of course not with, uh, sometimes they are treated as if they are, the they, they are like the house self. And uh, they also face several uh, types of, uh, you know, kind of mistreatments by the family, including harassment and all. So, uh, and basically it is the caregiving job in the elderly care, it has remain as underpaid or unpaid roles. And uh, the issues that they face when they go for caregiving is not addressed properly by the elderly care organization. And let me share with you here that only uh, three to 5% organizations are corporate organizations in India. The rest of it are either, you know, kind of, um, uh, you know, startups or uh, small enterprising organizations. Some of them are not even registered. They just hire women and place them with, uh, you know, uh, same, with uh, partial training. So the workforce which works in elderly care sector are not skilled workforce. They are either unskilled or semi-skilled. So that is why also it is, uh, uh, you know, it is not yet seen as a very respectable profession by the society. Uh, when uh, Dr. Tendulkar talked about geriatric care and gerontological care, so mostly in India, as the elderly care sector is in, a, in an emerging status, uh, it's still emerging. So um, uh, most people understand or use it for geriatric care when there, are, there, there is a need for any kind of medical care. So uh, home-based care is often, uh, you know, sought after when there is a medi medical necessity or geriatric care required. But actually, when we uh, interviewed the elderly, uh, it gave us some kind of a different picture. Uh, the elderly uh, that we interviewed when we when we talked about the caregivers who provides care to the elderly, uh, we said that uh, we, we found out that almost 77% uh, are males and whereas 21% uh, are female uh, caregivers employed by the elderly care organizations. And uh, what is most surprising is that most of the founders, uh, you know, kind of, they are males and 
females are mostly in the caregiving role and managers, when we're talking about elderly care organizations, if you look at the organogram, the structure of the organizations, so most of the uh, managers are males, whereas only, you know, kind of, we only found out that very few of them, and you know, 14 out of 249 are in the managerial position in the elderly care organizations. And uh, whereas the caregivers, uh, when we look at the caregivers distribution, most of the uh, uh, caregivers are female. Um, for, when Dr. Ambali was talking about uh, care recipients, um, uh, when we surveyed the elderly who are receiving care, we, we uh, took, uh, we collected data from the elderly who are taking either home-based care or assisted living care or daycare. So uh, these, uh, from the, uh, you know, kind of participants, it was 46% uh, were female participants. So that is something, to, something good, but it is, I had only uh, 279 some uh, elderly who are taking care that I surveyed, but that reflected that uh, women also now uh, access uh, health care, elderly care. But when I'm talking about accessing health care, let me be very honest, this doesn't comprise uh, women from uh, lower socioeconomic status or lower middle socioeconomic status, because uh, that is where, uh, you know, the, this sample is basically people who are, uh, who can avail and who uh, can access the elderly care. Uh, and uh, when, uh, again, when Dr. Ambali was talking about the type of care that elder, elderly women get, uh, for most males, uh, you know, men access home-based care, or they access assisted living care. Whereas women mostly have access to rehabilitative care when something, you know, they have a need like they have broken their leg or they have Alzheimer or they have some kind of medical condition. So females of participants of my study who we made, whom we uh, interviewed whom we met in the elderly care setups. Women were, were in the rehabilitative care, whereas males were in the assisted living setup or a home-based care setup or daycare setup. Even women also accessed um, the daycare setup, but in, to a limited extent. Uh, uh, so when we're talking about women, they have, uh, you know, uh, they are mostly uh, financially dependent as compared to men. And that's why the, uh, you know, kind of, they have a very different kind of accessibility. In addition to that, now that uh, I would like to add to this by saying that uh, when we interviewed the elderly care, and now I am talking about the elderly uh, in general and not specifically to the, for the women elderly, uh, we found out that Indian elderly mostly required, they have a need for social care. Whereas most of us, are, our society is geared to provide them geriatric care. People actually, they say that the social care need is highest. And when you asked about for what time period they would like to access this, uh, you know, kind of uh, social care, they said that it can be up to eight hours. 
The second came rehabilitative care and uh, um, uh, the, the second uh, in the list came rehabilitative care and assisted living and that came to somewhere around, uh, you know, kind of six hours. And uh, to all the uh, people who are interested in elderly care, the el elderly uh, people who were interviewed, they said that the nutritional care is very important for them. So that's how I could, you know, I agreed, I could, when I heard Dr. Ambali talking about the, um, you know, kind of the diet and uh, not being fed properly or not being, uh, you know, kind of uh, looked after properly by the households. Um, that is uh, what the elderly have, you know, they have said that was quite, quite a bit of, you know, quite surprising for us to know that the nutritional care was next to uh, social care and rehabilitative care by the elderly. Uh, and whereas, uh, and I think it is because of uh, ignorance, dementia care uh, and, you know, Alzheimer care, Parkinson care, all those things were not recognized by most of the elderly who were interviewed, maybe because there is no awareness about it. And um, so, so what, when we're talking about policy implications today, so um, uh, I have to uh, talk about two or three things only. The first thing is that we have to uh, listen to the elderly and what they need, uh, what kind of care is required by them. So uh, the community, uh, in, when the policy talks about uh, the national uh, policy for older persons by the government of India, talks about empowering the families and communities for providing care for elderly, uh, we also should realize that uh, we have to come up with care models which uh, provide social care to the elderly, which, which is what they talk about most. The second thing is that the insurance sector, the, there is no insurance for elderly care. So when there is no insurance for elderly care, even the financially independent elderly who get pensions and everything, uh, they cannot uh, spend money or they are not willing or they cannot, uh, you know, they, they, they cannot avail, they would not like to spend on money on social care or, um, you know, kind of bedside care or nutritional care, et cetera, because it is not insured as health care uh, by the, you know, kind of insurance sector. So if as a society, as a, as a, as a, as a nation, we should, uh, the, we should make provisions that uh, for elderly who uh, we can have incidences for elderly care and we'll recognize that it is a care need like geriatric care, uh, gerontological care is also a need of the elderly, then maybe it can facilitate uh, the elderly to grow, uh, you know, but to, to, to age uh, in a dignified way. Uh, and the third thing is that um, uh, rather than uh, looking at uh, the, fam the care coming from the family, from the daughter-in-law or daughter, um, if it is given, it's uh, well and good, it is most welcome, and we should be sensitive to the family members. But if we want to grow strong as a nation, we have to also have alternatives. We should have to create a system 
where this uh, elder care sector, which is now still in, it, in its infancy and is developing, and we do, it is uh, largely unorganized. Um, most people actually, uh, when you're talking about caregivers, female caregivers, and today we are talking about women in the caregiving for elderly. So these female caregivers are, are really exploited. Uh, the other day when I was talking to Professor Patel, uh, we, uh, I, uh, we were discussing that how the elderly care organizations, the way they charge the elderly and the way the caregivers are paid, there is a lot of discrepancy in that. So sometimes they're exploited, they are not respected, it is not recognized as a profession. So uh, if elder care sector can be considered or can be you know, kind of integrated into the uh, care delivery system, uh, the you know, healthcare system as such, it will be greatly beneficial for the society to uh, take care of the elderly. So there are uh, CSR programs, uh, corporate social responsibility programs uh, in uh, Baroda and Ahmedabad that I have surveyed only, so I'm talking on the basis of the data. So we, who have mobile plans, like uh, Dr. Ambali also mentioned that, visits the villages uh, once in, uh, in a fortnight, once in a month, and uh, they provide uh, healthcare to the village elderly. So th this is a very welcoming step. Similarly, if we can develop a system of uh, reaching out to the elderly across the, you know, across the socio-demographic uh, rubric of the society, and can uh, provide them uh, uh, care in in a in a systematic manner, in a system approved way, that will be a great way to. Uh, respect the intersectionality uh, of uh, elderly care in the uh, Indian society. Thank you very much. Um, this is what thank I wanted us. to share. And uh, thank you for giving thank me. I'm very happy to be here and to listen to my colleagues. Uh, really, it, is, it has been quite a bit of learning with all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Bhumilanga Biswas, for bringing out a very important concerns about the social care needs and also the rehabilitative care, assisted care, and also the most important nutritional care. I personally experienced that the caretaker for my father, she would not just give him food. He said, at this age, you don't, at the age of 89, you don't eat so much. So we had to ensure that one of us was there so that he was not starved. No? So that is a very this thing. And secondly, that uh, uh, question of uh, insurance, very, very important because most of the elderly people, the one major illness and they are on road. No? So I think the universalization of uh, uh, elderly care and this thing and increasing the health budget. Currently it is nearly 1.2% of GDPs and WHO has asked it 10%. So I think the now the senior citizens organizations are doing the budget audit that from the perspective of elderly people's uh, needs. No? Now, the, our uh, most important aspect is that of institution building, providing the institutional care. And here we have an expert uh, and also practitioner, Mr. Silesh Mishra, who is running a highly acclaimed institution called Silver Innings. And we would like to, like, I would like request him to take care of two questions from the participants. One, Dr. Nita has asked that I would like some of the honorable dignitaries to talk about homeless elderly people who have been doing work for lesser dignity in their young age and also unfortunately they are doubly marginalized. Ishika has asked questions that uh, about the uh, passive euthanasia, what are your views on that? So along with 
speaking about your experiences of silver innings, uh, uh, Mr. Shailesh Mishra, if you can take care of these two extremely valuable and at the same time mind-boggling questions. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Vibhuti Patel, Anagaji, and all the panelists. I think I'm the last speaker, so nothing is left for me. <laughs> no, no, Everybody... no, you have far more. You have to tie up so, all the issues. You have to tie yeah, up. Yeah. So yeah. I'm very thankful to all the panelists, actually. They have taken the burden from me to highlight everything, I think. Uh, but still, uh, as we are working on the field, uh, you all are academic, we have something to say uh, because we work with seniors and we work closely with the community and the people of all group. Uh, let me first tell you that uh, every speaker has given their own uh, you know, opinion. Uh, first is important is aging is in India is evolving. We can't say we are old and we expert. No, we are evolving. We are a bacha, we are infant in aging. The countries, the developed nation, are, you know, they are mature. There is a mature economy now. We are not. So whatever we are doing, we are learning, still learning. And I can't say my model is great, your model is wrong. No, it has to evolve. That is first thing. Second thing is when we talk about aging and all other dimension, remember that developed nation became rich first and old later. India is getting older first and then we are getting grow, grow rich uh, later. So there are different dimensions to it, you know, economical, social, psychological, that's important. Uh, I will not talk much, but I will. I have written some bullet points. I think I will highlight that more importantly. Uh, India, Asian countries, uh, we are male-dominated society. Patriarchal, as somebody said. So, women are taken for granted for everything in the family, in the community. Women will cook. Women will look after. She will bear the children. She is like a super, super woman, super something, a miracle, a god who will handle everything. I think here, the whole mindset, the policy, the society, NGOs, we, you know, fall in the trap. You know, she's everything. So why she needs care? You know, why? Like, so this kind of uh, mindset has actually, you now we are not able to help women or they are not able to help themselves. A self-image has been created. I'll, I'll give you an example of my mother. My mother has spent, she, she left us two years ago. She has spent 50, 60 years of life in the kitchen, cooking for her husband, looking after her, him, looking after the children. And when we all started becoming big, she, what she did, she, she ate last. She fed herself last. She never wore a good sari. She never did the makeup. See, till the last stage of my dad, she never looked after herself. But she, she, she lived longer than my dad. She just passed away so recently. So she had to look after, she had to have good food, nutrition. Uh, she, she needed to have uh, finances. But like many other women in the society today, old women, they don't know about finances. They don't know where is the bank account, which post office, which deposit, who writes the check, who gives the uh, society check, where is the money. She has to ask her child, can you get me an apple? You know, and like Dr. Ambali said, she will hide. She will hide our pain, her pain so that family is not troubled. This kind of self-image also we have created. Why? We all are human beings. Whether you're aged, whether you're women, whether you're transgender, LGBT, you are all human. So why 
we have to create that uh, image self image a self image also hurts you know and uh, also I, i would like to talk about male caregiver caregiving uh, we have seen like uh, I, i'm very proud to say that at even snanjali our home assisted living home we have 75% women as the caregiver and the staff two managers of women only the only four boys out of 17 so mainly or girls uh, female population people people are handling the institution or our home so we are proud but male caregiving is also a stigma is attached because we we want all kind of age group or gender to part, be part of the caregiving but what is happening female caregiving okay ha wo to unka kaam hai right unka unka to seva andar se aata hai male you are caregiver oh male caregiving karta hai it not look upon the good it is stigmatized so male prefer to go in the job to, to be a, become a pun to go to call center to work in mall so here also i think there is a discrimination a different kind of discrimination happening i think we should look into that also so um, also uh, what i felt is uh, some example like there is this uh, daughter in law who is a architect who was a professor and she has a, a mother in law who was very dynamic very rigid and she was in you know, a growing in, uh, coming into dementia and when she is suffering in dementia this daughter in law goes to the college comes home has to look over her children has to look her uh, mother in law but what she did she did uh, educate herself how to look after my mother in law and she she used to tell her husband she used to tell the family now my mother in law is suffering she is creating some problem she she was trying to say there is something wrong but they disregarded her the wife the daughter in law no 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 nothing my 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 mother is everything she will not do anything wrong and she took the burden and when she took the mother in law admitted to assisted living the society the whole housing society you know boycotted her oh you have kept your mother in law in the home how dare how dare you can do that you know so this kind of discrimination pressure or women's are very wrong i think this is where uh, something is not happening um, good so third example i we work in wasai taluka wasai taluka is very different kind of uh, economy or setup where a girl has to be a teacher because if you are teacher you get a good husband and why why she or she had their parents want a daughter to become a teacher school teacher because she will go early in the school she'll come back in the afternoon she look after husband and the family a mother in law father in law and she will cook for the home and she will be a kind of caregiver natural caregiver uh, in the home so she is looked as a caregiver or a person who will take care of the family so here again women pays the burden and burden is what they it impact the whole life of the person the women especially what kind of impact they have caregiving it is psychological dr anuga said it neglected emotional she suffered emotional pain social social here social distancing comes she distances herself from the society there is no social life for herself there is physical distress there is a pain there is a trauma she suffers and the finances because either she has to leave the job either she has to depend on somebody's income so and at the end when the caregiving is over the person is gone she is left alone fighting for herself and at that time she is already aged so multi dimensional effect of caregiving happen 
to the person who is taking care and there are there are symptoms we can understand how 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 to know the person is stressful how the women caregiver they won't tell you but you will understand they will they will have some kind of uh, you know uh, tiredness nervousness there's a depression there's a anger getting irritated in everything she she won't tell you but there, there are some symptoms that that is there she will get angry in each and everything but nobody will care in the family because it's our duty to care for the family why when we talk about policy when we talk about ngos who are working for women we all talk about young people young people i always debate when i work with women's organization i work with not a women's organization i said hum aapke paas koi seniors ko leke aate hain koi problem hai so you only look for young women you why don't you you know work for older women women and child ministry will only work for younger women so why why there is age restriction gender restriction in policy and the social um, work what we do why it it we are working for social cause women are women whether old or young right whether they are dementia whether not and somebody was talking about transgender of course they are the most neglected what about care for them their families the trauma the families also you know um, going through is not only the person who is a transgender who is so, you know boycotted or you know not getting enough uh, attention but the family is also so there is there is nothing happening on that line so what we need we need mental health policy or a caregiving policy where women are given special attention women are unsung heroes unsung warriors in the corona time the pandemic it has been shown we have actually understood the value of a female in the family because when i started grooming when i started washing clothes my hands were paining my legs were shivering i can't do it but the lady can do it why is she made god has made her different no because she has made a mind she has that will to do something so the importance of women has come in the corona time it dynamic so women can is a multitasker and as a caregiver they unsung warriors nobody pays attention national policy doesn't pay attention we have senior citizen national policy it doesn't talk about caregivers forget women it doesn't talk about it. so we need that kind of policy where it caregiver and women caregiver special given attention then we need policy for lgbt and transgender especially special attention where they in fact they can be given a career option they can be why they have to beg they can be they, they can become a caregiver they can become manager of the institution they have this talent and let me tell you we have uh, 13 women uh, employee of staff or care partner we say women have attitude a attitude of caring attitude of humanity men don't have i'm sorry to say that i am also a man but we have seen women has the general you know inside something which is very caring the manager are so caring they talk to each other they, they are so helpful so there is something so why don't we utilize why we use them utilize the talent make them we have national council of senior citizens a part of national policy of senior citizens all mainly all male dominated and who are the male they are retired political officers political 
people or some retired officers. Why they are not NGOs? Why they are not senior citizen association? Why they are not female? Some caregiver uh, appointed there, and every three years rotated. Listen to them. Somebody said, listen to the voices, voices of elderly population who are sufferers, who are bearing, who have practical experience. They should be part of the policy making. Make a draft. Give, take, uh, uh, especially uh, uh, take from them. And other, I was talking about policies. Dr. Vibhuti ji, Dr. Anagha, I, I, I know I have requested to so many. We are part of the advocacy. We tell government we don't need senior citizen policy. We don't we don't need anything for senior citizen. Make all policy and guidelines and law without restriction, age restriction, uh, gender restriction. Sports policy is only for young people. Why old people can't play? Education is for young people. Why old people can't study? Health is also also constant. Now we have people for old people. For health is for young. Transport for uh, young. Social policy for young. Everything for young, young, young. Remember, seventy-five percent of this country is going to grow old. Twenty, fifty, three, fifty-six billion people will be old people in this country. We are not ready. We are not ready for women population whose feminization, feminization of aging is happening. There hardly anything happening there. Yesterday, somebody was talking about mental health. There are hardly two or three ward mental health ward in hospital in Mumbai. We are not paying attention. So we need to train. We need to train people, young people, how to grow old. I think that should be syllabus. That should be diploma. That should be degree. How to grow old? Physical, psychological, emotional, financial, legal, so medical legal. I should be trained. So I am not dependent on the government. I don't need social policy. I need. I am myself. I save for my retirement. I save. I give me skill. Give me hobbies. So that is what we needed. I think in the end, I just want to end with saying this: old people. Older women don't need sympathy. They do. They don't need charity. They need empathy. Somebody to understand. And lastly, to all the women's caregivers, salute to them. Uh, the small quote I just written just now. Remember those who forget themselves. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Shailesh Mishra, for such an inspiring talk and your work also, which speaks volumes. And I would be now uh, the question which were asked here by in the chat box have been taken care of. Whom does the onus of elderly care lie on, and is it only younger family members, or does the onus lie on individuals and communities alone, uh, with no intervention from the state, no social security? I think the many, I think four speakers have already answered this question. Uh, I, you know, the, uh, Mr. Sailesh Mishra said that we don't need social policy, but I think we very much need social policy, but more rooted in the reality of our country and also with more empathy as he said uh, what can india learn from global policies and practices in, in this regard i think scandinavian countries have provided very good example of a paid care work okay so that and plus the the nordic countries are also keeping the care bank where if you look after somebody uh, for some uh, uh, at the time of health emergency or elderly care then it the in the care bank your it is your hours of care are included so when you face problem then somebody else will look after you that is one uh, there is a question about the names of widows home in fact in fact the government union budget policy if you see they it is they they give a special fund for widows home and when you actually go to the widows home it is not only widows home all single women 
deserted, uh, divorced, single, separated, and uh, 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 widows, uh, they, they are there. But it is called widow's home. So I here fully agree with Dr. Anagha that they should be named as a women's home or an elderly women's home or senior women's home uh, should be there. None of you have uh, given any example of a self-help groups created by senior women. There was one attempt made in Mumbai where an organization called Vacha had started a Vardhana. Vardhana was a group where it was a self-help group of women uh, seniors, uh, mainly retired and elderly women who would just come together, they would discuss their problems and challenges and provide support to each other. Similarly, the women, when the women's movement started providing institutional support to women in social distress, so many distressed women uh, elderly women started approaching this organization and they, they would look up to monthly get together where everyone could speak no because so many of the, uh, them would even report tell that for past 10 days they haven't spoken to anybody they, they are treated as a piece of furniture in that in their family and it is only such get together where they get to where, where, where they could socialize and they could communicate with people now i would like to conclude with the saying that the globalization of economic structure has contributed to increased reduction in public sector spending and as you as you know that currently uh, it's less than nearly 1.2 percent of the gdp goes to the health care needs so when it comes to geriatric where where, where the health care needs is uh, uh, are required i think the elderly care as all the speakers said gets totally neglected even in the government spending and now some csr uh, activities have started but when it comes to the social care change challenging the gender norms and also pro uh, changing the mindset of the people and the ageism that we have to combat i think that is a far more challenging work and that's why in the textbooks in the, uh, the social messages in public education that mainstreaming of elderly care needs very important and i think it is very important as mr sailesh mishra said the increased global exchange of goods and services has also brought about international migration affecting care of elderly individuals so i think even those who are migrating those who are away from their extended family i think the loneliness which you see in the metropolis and the big cities also emerges from that in the Scandinavian countries, there have been an emergence and proliferation of social housing because we have so many friends, students and scholars who live like in a one big house. There are 45 people of a different age group staying together. They are not biologically connected, but I think such experiments are there in Sweden and Iceland and Switzerland and uh, also, uh, Norway, Denmark, uh, this, so, this social housing, even Germany has experimented that because young people, they don't have house and they don't have secure job. Well, the elderly people there, they have a social security, they have a pension, they have a house and both of them, uh, uh, both the sections, the younger generation and older generation, they support each other in their need. Uh, so well, universalization of pension is very important as it emerged from the uh, 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 presentation of uh, Dr. Anand. Uh, social protection is very important. I think the study by Dr. Maladas that uh, ICMR study also has brought out social security creation of halfway home because you are whole day you can be in your house but if you three or four hours you can spend or during the day you can go to such halfway home family service center in mumbai they they uh, run such halfway home in for the working class uh, people, elderly and they they find it very very uh, uh, 
important to go to these happy homes, share their problems, uh, emotional problems, problems of isolation, health problems, and community-based support services. I think several other countries like in Philippines and all, you see that uh, many Asian countries, they also have such experiments of community-based support services for elderly people. And also where all the presentation by Dr. Vinavaswani, Dr. Anand, also brought out the serious consideration that we need to pay to elderly care issues and uh, end of the life care uh, uh, issues. And uh, mostly the coming up with a very important, first of all, protective legislations. We have only now one legislation, uh, Senior Citizens Protection uh, 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 Act uh, 2010. And also we need more and more uh, structures and mechanisms and support services uh, by the state and non-state actors uh, to, to, to provide the very better quality and the dignified uh, support system for the elderly care, which has empathy. I first, I would like to thank all the participants, first of all, Dr. Angat Tendulkar, who energized all of us to reflect on such important concerns. Professor Veena Vaswani, Professor Anand, Dr. Anand, Dr. Urmi Maladas, and Mr. Sailesh Mishra, you all brought out the ground level reality. You tried to connect the micro experiences with the meso and macro. And also, I think we have been wiser and more uh, informed and more uh, in terms of perspective and in terms of practice. I think we are far more in. in uh, educated in today's session. Thank you one and all. Once again, I thank Dr. Arjun uh, Kumar and the IMPRI team for providing us this very important uh, platform, which is a think tank and it is taken so seriously by the movers and shakers of our country. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. So with that, Anagam, would you like to add anything or our panelists as a way forward? One, one minute, everyone. Yeah. Ma'am, would you suggest? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Anga, 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 are just the indicator of the fact that we have started thinking. So I want to thank uh, the, Dr. Kumar and others, the IMPRI group definitely for allowing us this particular platform and getting together and putting our thoughts together. We have been working together. We have been meeting each other. Thank you for giving this platform indeed. And thank you Vibhuti ma'am for being so kind and understanding. You have given us a lot of time. We have taken a lot of time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Veena, ma'am, would you like to chip in? Yeah, just one that you started with a seed, a seed of thought process. And I think let's get that into a big tree that gives shade to lot. So this momentum should only carry on forward and result into something that's really utilizable and it has an impact. So I wish all of us the same yeah. zest and enthusiasm to push forward. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Arjun sir, as well as Vibhuti, ma'am, and everyone. Thank you. Impre. Thank you, Veena, ma'am. Hello, Auntie. Nice to see you. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dr. Anand? It's a beginning, I think, the foundation stone has been laid down. And uh, there are many questions still unanswered. And I, I appreciate the questions 
uh, raised by the audience because uh, this uh, platform has raised many doubts and questions in the audience. That's the good thing that uh, it's the beginning and we all should together uh, work up for the giving a better uh, care for elderly. Yeah, I feel irrespective of gender. Uh, both deserve and uh, older people, older women tend to live longer. So, of course, we have to care for them and listen to them. Thank you. Dr. Anand, none of us have answered the question of voluntary euthanasia. Yeah. I am against it. But you exactly. Give your exactly, madam. It is not even legalized in our country. So, uh, instead of uh, looking for euthanasia, uh, we can give options for the older people for alternative methods like palliative care, rehabilitation, uh, you know, and hospice care. So that will uh, be better for a dignified death rather than the euthanasia. That is what I feel. If I'm allowed to jump in, I also want to say that why is it that every time we discuss elderly, we talk about euthanasia? Correct, correct. That's a different page altogether. Correct. Patients who cannot say things or where you have to take a decision about them, that is where euthanasia comes in. It should not be coming in every time when we are discussing elderly. And exactly. What message you are Agreed. giving? What message you are giving? That elderly people have no right to live. What yes. do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Please ensure that you know such questions are uh, raised in a proper manner so that our attitude is correct towards elderly and to our, towards ourselves. Thank you. Okay. Thank and uh, I, I would also uh, like to add to uh, Dr. Tendulkar, it is very embarrassing to uh, us as a society when we talk about uh, seniors, uh, senior people are elderly talking about ethansia. So it's very unfair and embarrassing. So we should think how we and can... It, and it reflects on us, no? How insensitive yeah. we are. The senior citizens have to say that I want you to share, I'll stop eating. Yeah. But we need to clarify their minds. So we cannot just run away and we need to clarify and ensure that though whenever such ideas are raised, we, we should be answerable to that, that this is not the right thing should to think. So invariably, Correct. such questions will be coming uh, across uh, the senior citizen forums. So we need to clarify yeah. their doubts. So yeah. we, need to answer, we have answer for that. It was only, only in, the, in the barbaric society at the one stage of human civilization where there was a barbaric society, they used to kill uh, people with physical disability and elderly people were murdered, massacred by the community leaders. I think yeah. we, we, are, we are far away from them. In Eskimos, you have found yeah. that the elderly themselves said that they want to get eliminated because it was difficult to handle. So there yeah. are stories about uh, old Eskimos sitting in a kayak and going far away with some food and then not returning at all. But we are not yeah. talking about the society. We are talking about a civilized agricultural society where we are constantly talking about dependency ratio. So attitude will have to be correct and altered and repaired that such questions are not taken up in the session where we are discussing elderly. Please. Just if at all we have to, the via media is we have missed a big step. It's not of euthanasia, but of hospice and palliative care homes, which we are lacking. And that is where we should be putting our energies at. Because having short of that, it doesn't mean we should directly jump into the other way. So I think we should be very clear on that. Yeah. Yeah. Salish, sir. Yeah. So I would like to add two things. One is about this question coming up uh, in the end. So uh, we uh, sensitivity toward elderly has been lost. Uh, whether we say we are traditional society and blah, blah, blah. But truly lost. Uh, I, I, uh, there was some judgment in Delhi High Court, which was against old people. It said old people have lived their life. 
a judgment that said old people but still is, is not coming so what i think we need training a parliamentarian all elected representative and the bu bureaucrat and ju judiciary towards the old people because until we are sensitive to that we won't comment or we won't quote because that's one thing and to the end i would like to say that aging is not lost youth but a new stage of opportunity and strength budhapa ant nahi hai ye jeevan ka bahut bada aanand hai iska aanand lijiye aur sabhi log yuva और जो बूढ़े हैं जो महिला है ट्रांसजेंडर है सभी मिलके एक अच्छा हार्मोनियस सोसाइटी बनाएंगे खुशी से रहेंगे खुश रहेंगे और कोरोना जैसी बीमारी पर हम विजय कब प्राप्त करेंगे जब हम सब एक साथ रहेंगे खुश रहेंगे विल पावर बनाएंगे साथ मिलके लड़ेंगे तो बुढ़ापा तो को तो जीतना ही है उसको तो इंसान ने जीत लिया है लेकिन अपनी खुशी अंदर की खुशी को आगे लाएंगे आई थिंक विल बी हैप्पी आई विश यू ऑल द बेस्ट intergenerational equality dignity and mutual respect very important very important. thank you so thank you everyone it was such a delight also as an organizer uh, it feels so satisfying because all the policy points and many points are such an uh, a treat to have all of you today so thank you so much anaga ma'am for really uh, starting this discussion professor veena ma'am professor vibh ma'am uh, dr anand sir salesh mishra sir and uh, professor vibhuti patel for uh, steering this very pertinent discussion and i would say uh, uh, i enjoyed it a lot and with that it's quite late also please have a safar on time and uh, have a good night thank you Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, friends. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. We look forward to learning more. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.